You're listening to Sala by Abigail Washburn, a Patagonia music benefit track for the China branch of Jane Goodall Institute's Roots and Shoots. Introducing Patagonia Music, exclusive songs from your favorite bands to raise money for environmental activism. Search Patagonia Music on iTunes or download the free Patagonia Music iPhone app and you can stream the Dirtbag Diaries wherever you roam. Patagonia Music. Buy a song, benefit the environment. Learn more at patagonia.com music. With additional support from Kuat Racks and New Belgium Brewing. I was meant to be an upstream. Welcome back to Live at Five Point. This is Volume 2, recorded at Steve's Guitars in Carbondale, Colorado, as a part of the Five Point Film Festival. Last time, we caught up with Frank Smethurst and Baby Champ, who were subjects of films in the festival. If you haven't heard Volume 1, do so immediately. So for the second half of the show, we wanted to step behind the camera and peer over the shoulders of two incredible filmmakers, Mickey Smith and Nick Wagner. Just to give you a warning, this contains both adult language and topics. It's only lightly edited to give you a sense of the feel of the show. You might even hear the pipes creaking and banging. Welcome. Chances are you are one of the millions of people who have seen Mickey Smith's Dark Side of the Lens movie. There's a reason this short video on surf photography in the Irish coast went viral. It gets right to the heart of creativity. It's brilliantly shot and written. But beyond the technical accolades, the short film simultaneously radiates sadness and joy. In this interview, Mickey discusses a life swimming amongst swell, his introduction to the Irish coast, loss, and a mischievous dolphin named Dusty. I live in County Clare on the west coast, um, south of a place called La Hinch. It's a real simple way of life. It changes with the winter, it just empties out of people, and it's just the people who live there, you know. And a lot, a lot of those people are surfers nowadays because it's hard for anyone else to want to be there really <laughs> like in the summer it's all poorest base really now it's like pubs and traditional music going on everywhere and that kind of aspect of things yeah um, it's a real special part of the world really because the people are really salt of the earth types really kind of like this place really like you walk down the street and people will be nice to you you know <laughs> how's it going oh, what are you doing here like been blown away by everyone being friendly here. Like, uh, pretty different, but over there it's a similar type of thing, you know. When I was about, when I was about 14 or 15, I think I was walking to school and uh, a couple of my older mates, older surfers, just passed the driving test and basically they just bundled me in the car and uh, drove me to Ireland on the way to school. So I had to phone my mum on the ferry and tell her that I was... <laughs> I was going away for a couple of weeks and the lads were going to look after me. <laughs> and uh, she wasn't too impressed, really. But, yeah, ever since then, I uh, just um, loved the coastline and 
felt at home there. It's a lot like where I come from in Cornwall, but the waves are kind of a lot more suited to my tastes, kind of thing. How so? Um, just uh, it's got obviously the landscape's absolutely mind blowing, but also the the geology for waves is it's real specific to what I like, what I look for, and kind of breaking waves is like heavy waves, like kind of shallow ledges of rock and the waves come out of deep water and hit the ledges of rock and kind of project in these weird, weird and wonderful shapes. And that's kind of, that's what I like looking at and kind of trying to ride and just being around lumps of ocean like that is pretty, pretty exciting. You've been a surf photographer professionally. I mean, you said you started taking photos like really from the early stages of, and it just sort of was a part of being a surfer. And, um, you know, you said you've been doing it professionally for 10 years. You've obviously traveled all over the world. You, you know, you kind of had that wanderlust that you went out and followed and, and made a career of. But what, what, a, what about Ireland? What's so special about Ireland? I mean, like, why would you, why would you go there? Because it doesn't necessarily seem like that's the, you know, not everyone thinks of Ireland when you say surfing. But yeah, yeah. Why, why did you pick that place? I think um, surfing's like a, it's obviously an amazing culture but it's also pretty weird and it gets kind of caught up in the next big thing and the next swell and the next best surfer and all this stuff that's constantly happening faster and faster and faster and and uh for like a few years i was working for surf magazines and getting kind of they were sending me on jobs and uh, just be like getting caught up in that and just be thinking like what this is like pretty far removed from why I'm buzzing on being in the ocean in the first place, you know, and uh, I just started slowing down, like, what I was doing and kind of moving away from that stuff to try and just focus in on what I, what I like about being in the sea and, and uh, just try and, trying to document the beautiful things I see and not necessarily because it's, like, the biggest or the best or the what, whatever, you know, just because I think it's beautiful, it doesn't matter just enjoy being out there and Ireland seemed like um, the place I was most able to do that just really isolated and always got big swells smashing into the coast and like um, it's a place that kind of demands a lot of patience out of you and uh, there's always big storms just coming straight out of the sea and obliterating any kind of like nice weather and good waves it changes so fast you have to kind of spend time there to really kind of get to know the special parts and the special moments and start to get a feel for how things work there and yeah and I gradually just slowed down to the point where I didn't go anywhere else well for, I mean I guess first off do you think you had the patience for that 10 years ago uh I probably had the patience yeah just um I think I just I was 20 years old and um I was getting offered jobs by surfing magazines, you know, so I was just like, yeah, fucking right, then send me to the other side of the world, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. But once you start getting beyond that, you get beyond it pretty quick because you don't get paid very well and, you know, you start thinking like, why, why am I doing this? It's not, you know, it's because I really love doing it and this isn't, these aren't the aspects of surfing that I really love. Like, so... I just decided to move away from that quite a few years ago and 
I actually got to the point where I am now. <laughs> Pretty broke. <laughs> I don't think you're alone in this room. Yeah, yeah. You see, like big pods of dolphins quite a bit, and killer whales and stuff in Ireland. But um, there's one dolphin who hangs out of, around some of the waves. There we call her Dusty. Yeah, she's a solo. She's a f massive dolphin. She just hangs out and yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's just. Uh, when we first when we first encountered her, she was really aggressive. She's I guess she used to being on her own, and she obviously likes surfing, like, and she's a hell of a lot better at it than anyone else, so clearly. So she kind of saw us at her waves, and she was just kind of like, "I'll oh, show these guys what the hell's going on." And then uh, it was really scary because we'd be sitting out the back, and suddenly she just like burst out the water like right next to you, like really close to your head, like flying out the water. And it's really scary that because it's totally still, and then poof, like, yeah. whoa! And like, first you think it's a shark, but it's not. It's a dolphin. And you think, oh, dolphin, but like, um, <laughs> then you think, ah, oh, it's really scary. Maybe she's trying to tell me something. Like, what's she doing that for? Like, and then like, but gradually she started chilling out, and as she kind of got used to us, now she's mega friendly. Like, sometimes she can even get a lift back out after catching a wave off her and stuff like it's pretty weird, yeah. Real mind blowing, yeah. <laughs> what are um, you know, there's like a story you sit down and tell over beer at the pub in front of an audience of 40 people. Uh, <laughs> you know, what, what, is there one story that sticks out in your mind? No, I guess, like, there's a couple of bombies, like, out in the middle of the ocean we've been trying to suss out and figure things out around, and they're some of the most intimidating ways I've ever seen, really. And um, it's like when we first started going out there and sussing them out, it was just, just me and two mates on a ski, basically, and we'd go miles out you can't really see the coast out there there's a lot of water moving and swells have to be huge for it to even start showing face and uh yeah they just drop me off in the ocean and then they go off and it's like a huge lineup they start towing into these big waves and um obviously you don't know anything about the lineup or anything and they're some of the most hectic intimidating waves i've ever seen and just getting lobbed off the ski, right? See you in a bit. And then they fuck off, and I can't see them for about half an hour at a time. And like, just swimming around, going, like, what the hell am I doing out here? And then sometimes they lose me for like an hour at a time because there's so much water moving, and I'm just a little speck in lumps of swelling. How do they find you? Like, yeah, there's some proper funny stories. At one time, we were at this one spot under these big cliffs, and there's about there's a few of us out there basically, and some had paddled out, and we had one ski, 
And at that point in time, none of us really knew how to drive a ski. We were just we were using it to get people to this wave. And we were borrowing it. It wasn't our ski. And it's just cowboys, basically. And, uh, yeah, you, same old thing. They lobbed me off amongst the waves, and then they're going off and taking it in turns to catch waves. And then one of the boys ends up in a real hectic situation. He's pinned against a cliff, and he's drowning, basically. And then all sorts of disasters unfold, trying to get him with the ski. We haven't got a sled on the back, so trying to drag him up onto the ski, and then you get knocked off the ski, and the ski gets washed into the rocks, and then you're trying to, like, get the ski and the man out. And then uh, all these different things happen, and I'm swimming around, like, watching it all unfold, going, oh, my God. And then uh, eventually they get everyone out, everyone's fine. They drop, start dropping people back, and they leave me there, and the swells are getting bigger and bigger. It's like half an hour every time they ferry someone around. And by the time the last person's gone round, I've kind of drifted quite far away from the waves. I don't know where I am. <clears throat> and, uh, well, I know where I am. But the guy driving a ski didn't know where I was. <laughs> and he's only a young lad. He was only 17 at the time. He's like, yeah, I live a lot older now. But um, I remember just seeing him like come around the corner. I was like, yes, all right, I'll get on the ski and we can go home now. Amazing. And uh, he just shot like straight past me along the cliff line. And I was just like, oh, shit, he hasn't seen me. And then I just watched him going like up and down the coast for about an hour, probably an hour and a half, and he's going into amongst these hectic big waves. And basically, he thought I'd been clobbered by a massive wave and washed into the rocks like that guy had. And the whole time, I was just watching him going, hello. <laughs> he couldn't see me. And then eventually, he said he just saw my arm come out of a lump of swell, and he come out, and he's totally white-faced, and he's crying, and like, he's like... Where the fuck have you been? I was just like, I've just been watching you, mate. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. It's a few tales like that. <laughs> Did you buy a neon wetsuit afterwards? <laughs> I was sweet. I just thought I'd just swim down the coast. But um, poor lad, he's like, he's thinking, shit, I'm going to have to tell his girlfriend. And f all he's running through all the scenarios if I was lost or something, you know. <laughs> so, Why did you make this movie? Like, why? Like, why did you do? Why did you feel compelled to to share that story and share that perspective? Yes, yeah, a combination of things, really, but mainly comes from my sister. She's uh, always been a big inspiration to me, and she kind of like taught me to look for the subtleties in things, not the most obvious kind of things, like the little glimpses of special stuff that are everywhere you know she taught me that and and uh for a long time she was always saying to me like yeah i see you your photos of these guys in all these places and yeah it's cool but i want to know about you and why you're doing it and you know what you do what you have to do to do it and and uh my sister <clears throat> passed away last year this time of year and um i just kind of did it for her really I'm sorry, first off, and, and yeah. Did you feel like, 
you wish she could have seen it? I mean, like, do you feel like she's seen it maybe now? Do you think she's sensed it or? or yeah, you... for sure. Like, um, just the amount of people who've kind of watched the film, it's so unexpected and never kind of wasn't a motivation to do that. You know, it's just something I felt I needed to do as part of healing process or I don't know what. Just felt like something I needed to do. And, uh, yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, she's been with me a lot of the way. She still is, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Did it work as a healing process? I don't think it can work, really. Like, there's nothing you can do. But it just kind of helped my focus from being down in the dumps to, like, putting myself into something, you know? Yeah. It's good to kind of channel a negative into a positive like that. So it's kind of how I've always dealt with things and I know that she did, would have hated it if I started doing anything different. So that's all I knew how to do really. It like um it just feels right for me to do to be doing that kind of thing. Like that's what I, that's what I love about surfing and wave riding and whether I'm behind the lens or trying to ride waves or just being in the sea watching or cheering on the boys, whatever. Just feels good, you know. So thank you so much for sharing all these stories with us today. Thanks, man. Mickey Smith. Here are the facts. Nick Wagner lives in a school bus. He grew up amongst New York City's doctors and lawyers. He reformatted the ski movie formula and won a powder video award for his movie signatures. Warren Miller is kind of a fan. His new movie, Solitaire, is a two-year ski film project that he's about halfway through right now. If you go beyond those facts, and you get a little deeper, you go into the gray, you'd find that Nick lives a life on the fringe, or as he puts it, between the doctors and the tax collectors. It's a creative space where there are no safety nets, and artistic endeavors can be deadly. Nick talks about life on the bus, what it's like to get advice from Warren, growing up, and Arnie Backstrom. Have a seat, Mr. Wagner. (laughs) I just want to start with a question for you, and then basically it's... uh, I want people to know, and I want people to know on a very detailed sort of like basic level, like what it takes to go get those images that they just saw last night, because there's no helicopter, there's no giant production crew, there's you and Zach and, and some others too. I know, you know, I know it's growing, but you know, it's, it's for real. And I want people to just sort of hear like what it takes to do what you're doing. Um, I think you, you started off with it. We don't use helicopters, we don't use snowmobiles, we don't use snowcats, and our backpacks on a daily basis will be 30 pounds, on a not-so-daily basis will be up to 80 pounds. And you, we, we hike you know, miles, miles and miles and miles, and you know, thousands of feet of vertical to get to these places where we can shoot. And 
you know, I'll, I'll give you one example that was, was super funny for me. But we got to Las Leñas, Argentina last summer. And it was like our first day of shooting. We were like right out the gates. We wanted to, you know, go get that gorgeous sunrise shot. And we chose these lines that were probably a seven-hour hike just to get to the base of them. So that, that meant that we had to leave at about 11 o'clock at night in order to get there. And it was negative 25 degrees outside. It was blowing 40-degree winds. And we, we basically skinned past the discotheque. We were, we were hiking, you know, to get to our shot. And we hiked past the discotheque, and we looked in, and, you know, the strobe lights were going on, the laser lights were going on. And I was like, this is a really strange life that I'm living and uh, it's surreal. I think like the, the beauty in living in that strange space between like when most people go to bed and when most people wake up is that we see this other side of, of, of life and of the world. And, you know, just these like beautiful silhouetted skiers marching up the mountain and, and it's, it's gorgeous backlit and the beauty of those moments of, you know, hiking and, and having to put in the time without, I guess, snowmobiles and helicopters. It's living out of tents for months, months and months and months on end of, to keep our gear warm, for example, we have to sleep with every single piece of gear that we own. Like, to dry your jacket, you have to sleep with your gear. It's winter, we're sleeping in the snow. And, uh, you know, I, I was sleeping with my ski boot liners like a teddy bear for like months and it's like this disgusting smelly thing and I'm, I'm like you know I wake up Have you and named I, him <laughs> no, no I didn't get that deep but uh you know it's like I wake what do I wake up to in the morning I wake up to like my my ski partner's best buddy like he unzips his sleeping bag and it's like this disgusting like like Dorito bag of fart popping in my face and it's like this it's it's making a film is like a string of moments like that that are just like, what am I doing? What am I doing? How did I get here? And it's like, it's joy, it's, it's amazing, and it's also shitty. And some days really suck. And sometimes it'll suck for a week. Sometimes it'll suck for a month. Sometimes it'll suck for a year. And uh, you just kind of got to know that at the end of that, that it's going to be good again. And you got to ride it out, I guess. What's a, um, I mean, if you could give me an example of the suck. I mean, you know, because the, the truth is, is that, 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 that you push limits on a physical level, you push it on an artistic level, on a passion. And there's also the, the truth is that you create art, but it's art in the mountains. And there's a reality to that. You know, on the first day of making this film, um, Arnie Backstrom passed away. And that, that was like the start. That's how you start a project, and that's how you, you know, start two years of your life dedicated to something. It's like watching somebody die. And uh, it's obviously something that, that stays with you, it carries with you. And... Uh, Just the realness, you know, the realness of these, these emotions. It, it might just be making a ski film. It might just be that. But 
it is a lot more. It, I mean, it's a, it's a metaphor for a lot of things. It's, it's a metaphor for what it means to be human, what it means to feel, what it means to, to be a person. And, you know, the mountain, you know, as cliche as it might be, climbing the mountain, is, it's a, a difficulty that you have to get over and you have to, to deal with. And the same with Arnie. It's like there are things that you have to overcome. And there's, this is a, a life on the fringes, you know, where you're living somewhere between, you know, tax collectors and doctors. There's no blueprint for this work. It's like, what, what am I? What do I do? It, there's no, there's no uh, example of this kind of work in the world. So you, you kind of have to, to deal with these things outside of, uh, I guess, a support network or outside of people that, that understand, I guess, what it means to have somebody die uh, on your watch. I think that there's a lot of moments where I'm like, what is, what, is this worth it? You know, is this what I'm doing? Is, is this what I want to be doing? And I think I heard so much of it in what Mickey was saying before. Um, is this really what I want to be doing? Is, and and there, I guess that there are a lot of moments where I think about quitting and, and going and working at a, at a restaurant or waiting tables because, you know, that's really easy. This life is, is, can be really, really hard. But it's also like I know that those tens and those elevens and those through the roof amazing moments that they come and and it might just be five minutes in a year, but I want those five minutes and I I'm willing to like you know sweat my face off for a long, long time to get to the top of a peak. And that's a metaphor for the rest of the filmmaking process, I guess. I didn't cross the line. I didn't have to try. Talk to me about the, the joy. Talk to me about that five <laughs> minutes per the year. You know, because that, that is why, you know, that five minutes is why we do it. Right? I guess it's, the joy is about, it's about expectations and it's about dreams and it's about having a vision and, and never ever knowing if you can actually accomplish that. So when we set out to make a film, it's like, we don't know if we can accomplish it. And that's the journey, and that's like the beauty of it. And when we set out to do that, you know, this flight of a paraglider, we basically were in the middle of Peru, and Arnie had just died, and we had to figure out, you know, what we were going to spend this month doing, how to find meaning in in this month, and how to kind of deal. And it was like we set out to fly paragliders at twenty thousand feet for mountains we had never been to, and altitudes we had never been to, and I'd never been in a paraglider before. So it was all these things that we didn't know whether they were possible. So we, you know, started off small, flying outside of, um, outside of the village and outside of the town of Juarez. And you know, the very first flight that I flew, um, our paragliding pilot AJ landed me into a stone wall. And uh, you know, after this Arnie Backstrom, it was like, like you know, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing right now? But it's from that point of, you know, Arnie and like all these things that were really awful happening, it's like a month later I was standing on top of this peak at 20,000 feet and I was looking down on the glacier and I basically just had to run down this slope, down this mountain and that was going to launch the paraglider and as I was sitting there, I, I was this amazing feeling, I just ran and it was like... Two seconds later, I was five feet off the ground, going 20 miles an hour, 
with my head over my feet, just looking down at the glacier and flying over this thing. And if, it, if we had been able to do that on the first day, if we had just been able to you know, walk up to 20,000 feet and fly it, I wouldn't have like, even loved it as much as I love it. It's like that journey that, that makes the joy so amazing. And, and when, you're like, when you're in the air flying over you know, glaciers in Peru and the Cordillera Blanca, you better know that that's like one of the coolest things you're ever going to do in your life. So, you know, you've, you're halfway through this at this stage, and this has been, it sounds like a life-changing project on both the high and the low end. It's like, you know, are you looking forward to going back? Are you dreading it? Both? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, like what, it's, you're halfway through this process. Uh, I went and I skied marble today, and I was like walking up, I was skinning up, and I was like, geez, this is really hard. And uh, I was like, well, there's a lot more of this on the way. So Nick was up uh, till 5.30 last night, too, so <laughs> <laughs> don't feel too bad for him. <laughs> um, you know, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. I think that the creative process is awesome. We're, we're going to the Amazon this summer. We're going back to the Cordillera Blanca. We're going to Bolivia, to the Atacama Desert. We're going back to Patagonia. It's like I, I step back, and I, I have to sometimes and just be like, I'm really really lucky to be able to do this for a job and to be able to do something that I love and something that I'm passionate about. And that's why I don't wait tables. That's why, like, I, I, because I don't have that passion for myself. Like, this is what I love doing and I have to do it even if it's super, super hard. I love living in <laughs> I really do and some you know sometimes I got over it like I was I was running around on the bus for all the fall and I started getting over it because I started letting these like voices of like what are you doing with your life you know come in and I started like you know sometimes I do I, I love showers I really love showers um, it's it's great you know it gives me so much freedom I, I don't I put my money and my energy towards things that mean a lot to me, and uh, at this point, I, I'd love to have a house. I'd love to put my energy into that, but like, I don't necessarily need it right now. And uh, being on the road is incredible. Like, I can the places that I get to see in that bus, the the connections. It's it's this amazing. People just like the freakiest people in the world come up and talk to me at my bus because they think that they found their like their best buddy, because they look at my bus and it's covered in duct tape and they're like, this guy is gonna be my best friend. <laughs> and uh, I love it, it's like this great, you know, and people will come in, they'll sit down, like, we'll like have a chat, I'll play cards with like a group of young, young kids or like I'll have a beer with a group of some older kids and uh, it's really a cool, cool deal and sometimes it sucks like everything else, but I do love it. When I was like 21, I'm like, yeah, 25 sounds cool. And now I'm 25, and I'm like, this could go on forever. <laughs> this could go on forever. And it's like, there's fears involved in that of like, you know, being the old crusty still living in the school bus. And I don't think that'll happen, but I think I'll just know. I think, I think that right now it's, you know, we're running wild and we're doing these crazy adventures. We're running around the world on a shoestring and it's awesome like that. But I think at some point, um, 
one thing I learned from Japan, I guess, is you know that there's there's seasons, and and we as people have our own seasons in our life, and at some point I'm I'm gonna have to move on, I guess, but I don't know when. If you could kind of quickly tell tell me about like how a kid from New York City, you know, ended up getting inspired and sort of following their dreams so quickly because you have done this, you know, like you've you've skyrocketed through the process of knowing what you want. And I know that there's a lot to that, but I'm in particular talking about like you were 14 years old in the city and like trying to figure out how to be able to go skiing. And if you could just sort of tell some of that. <laughs> I was a freak. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was a total freak. I was like, uh, I was such a geek about skiing and cameras. And I was, you know, I had the soundtracks to like the ski movies that I was watching before breakfast, before going to school. And then I would get on the subway and I would like, I would have the ski movie soundtracks going and I'd be closing my eyes and I'd like think about like, you know, skiing pow or like doing a 360. And then I'd like walk up the handrail and I'd think about like, you know, skiing into the handrail on like the six line in New York City or like getting a toe in on the subway, you know, like building a jump and getting like towed in from the subway. And I'm like, damn, that'd be really cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think, I think like, it just made me really hungry. Like I wanted mountains so bad. I would like sit on like 15 hour Greyhound buses to get to like the shittiest skiing you've ever imagined. And like, <laughs> Like, it was just, like, another, like, what am I doing <laughs> moment. But uh, it made me, like, super hungry. And I think uh, it was, like, where I, I felt part of, like, a tribe. You know, I, I started, like, going skiing and meeting people and, and having that connection in the backcountry with people where it was, like, this is a community of people and this is, like, something I get much more than, like, the doctors and the lawyers and the stockbrokers and, and all the stuff that was, like, I was being taught. I think I, like, I think I, you know, grew up in New York, spent 18 years living there and learning all those skills of, like, how, having to, knowing how to move, you know, in the midst of 8 million people and how to make money, you know, legitimately and illegitimately and all those things. And I think I've spent the last, like, six or seven years trying to unlearn a lot of that and how to, like, I guess, be more human. <laughs> How do, how do you evolve? Like, how do you see yourself evolving? And I, I don't know if you can answer that question, but I'm, I'm sort of curious, like, what, what's the next step for, for a ski movie? Because yeah. you have pushed it. I mean, you've sort of you know, brought some really art, arty things into the ski movie, and it's, I see it playing out all the time in the other film, bigger film companies. Yeah. Like, I see them crimping, you know? Oh, and it's, it's, uh, it's cool. So, but from, like, a yeah. creative standpoint, what's next for you? I guess, I guess like, I, I never want to be afraid of failing. I never want, I, I, of course I am, but I never want to let that stop me. I never want to be stopped by like this thought of like choosing something that's too challenging or too hard. And I think that with Solitaire, we've chosen something that is like, if you want to like, South America is like the windiest spot in the, the planet. It gets like such fickle snow. It, the mountains are so remote and like so hard to find. And we, we, cho we knew it when we like chose to make this film, but we wanted a challenge. We wanted to make something different. And I think creatively, it's it's very much that for me, not just like reproducing the same film and, you know, like doing signatures in South America with gauchos instead of taro. It's like 
we don't we don't necessarily want to do that. We want to keep pushing new things. And I think that it's like in the middle of every project I've made, there's always like the vision of what's next. And and as soon as that like inspiration happens, as soon as that vision of like this idea pops into my head, I'm completely a slave to it. It's like there's there's no other option. There's no there's no way that I can't like realize that dream because to me that would be failing that would that would be like the real failures giving up on that like need to to challenge myself and to push and to create it was nuts it was absolutely nuts I was so nervous. I was so nervous before those awards. Like I, I thought about that. Like I was skiing powder in Japan all January, and I was like thinking about this like crazy idea of being at Powder Video Awards in a week. And I got there and I showed up, and you know, here were these gods of of the ski movie industry that were like up here. And I was this little dude who like makes ski movies out of my bus. And all of a sudden I was like up on stage and I had whooped their ass. And like that felt good. You know, that felt really cool. And and to win an award for cinematography and and to be accepted, I guess, in, in that realm was like it was it was really cool. And it was I went and sat down next to Warren Miller right afterwards and Oh, I don't need to introduce Warren Miller, but you know he 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 had just watched Signatures, and uh, he he leaned over to me and he said, uh, "You know that movie was really great, but I think you should get somebody to do some voiceovers. That subtitled Japanese stuff is not not, not very good." <laughs> and I was like, like, "The king of voiceovers just told me that I need to get a voiceover." It's like. But that's that's one of the tens. I mean, that's like the, that's one of those amazing moments where you're just like, I was just a 14 year old boy listening to ski movie music on a subway, and here I am sitting next to Warren Miller, and he told me my films are are decent. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, guys. Really, yeah. you made my day. Thank you. Huge thanks to Five Point Film Festival and New Belgium and Patagonia. This was just awesome. I think this is, was a really cool event. And thank you guys for participating in this because you guys made it. You know, Thank you so much. Thank really, you, guys. I really appreciate it. Let me set the scene, hazy yet serene, she was next to me and we were doing like we normally does, that's when she went into the kitchen, started pouring me something, so I kicked my feet up. Music today by Frederic, This Will Destroy You, Boy Child, and I Am Me. You can download all the tracks and get information on the bands at our site, Dirtbag Diaries. You can also find links to all the movies we talked about today, find out information about our Facebook page, and get t-shirts and decals. So it's kind of insane. We're about to hit a big moment for the Dirtbag Diaries. We are coming up on 1 million downloads. You've helped build the diaries. Now, you can help us push past that mark. All it takes is spreading the word about these stories that you've helped create. Here's how you can do it. Sit down at the old keyboard, 
Open your email account and send us an email to dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net. Subject line, pushed past a million. The first 100 people who write in, we will ship you three Dirtbag Diaries seeds to pass along at climbing areas, at campgrounds, at trailheads, wherever. If you aren't in the first 100, we will go ahead and send you a link that you can share via Facebook or an email or put on your blog. However you can help, we appreciate it. Once again, that email is dirtbagdarius at earthslink.net. Thanks for helping us push past a million. Support for the show and the live event at the Five Point Film Festival came from Patagonia in New Belgium. Additional support for the show comes from Kuat Racks. The Joplin tornado hit close to home for the crew at Kuat, and they are selling t-shirts through their sites. All proceeds from the t-shirts go towards the rescue and rebuilding efforts in Joplin. You can find out more information at kuatracks.com or by friending them on Facebook. I'm Fitzcahal. Thanks to everyone who made Live from Five Point a reality. You've been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Long as you ain't home, notice pain like I ain't know nothing else. What this mean? I've had a lot of things. I never had a thing that felt so real. What's this mean? I've had a lot of things. I never had a thing that felt so real. Felt so real.